0: Oh, how sweet it is to have you join me for the 10th episode of Carson Sack Podcast. That's right. We're in double digits. I'm so happy to have been doing this. And finally, I have a microphone that is hopefully going to bolster the sound quality for the this podcast and the podcast in the future. It only took me, I guess, 10 episodes to get one, a couple of weeks to get one, but finally I have one. Super excited for this episode. As always, going to talk college football, going to talk NFL, want to talk a little bit about the NBA, some early season observations I've noticed, and then game six of the World Series is tonight. I'm recording this on a Tuesday, so going to give you a preview of game six and then a recap of hopefully an Indians World Series title win. If not, going to look at game seven and all the possibilities of wacky things that could happen in that game. Like I said, it's the 10th episode, sit back, relax, I'm hoping to make this a really special one. My guest I was going to have on this episode was not available this week, in the future I do hope to have him on, I'm going to leave that guest to be a mystery for a little bit longer, but when I know I can get an interview and get him ready to be on the podcast, I will let you know exactly who that is, but like I said, sit back, relax, enjoy, this is going to be a great podcast, great episode of Carson Sack Podcast. And whether it's the first episode, or the 10th episode, or the 100th episode, this is where we talk balls. So to get balls rolling here on the 10th episode, we're going to head to the Diamond. We're going to talk some World Series. Since the last time I brought you all a podcast, the Indians claimed a 3-1 lead, winning two out of three games in Chicago. Indians won Game 3, Game 4, and then lost Game 5 in a very exciting fashion. Cubs really need to rally in that game because if they would have lost, series would have been over. But needless to say, game six, Indians can still win the whole enchilada. Cubs fighting for their lives in what is would be considered disappointment, I feel like, if they don't win the World Series this year because the 103 wins, great young talent and stuff. And then the idea that the Indians, Cubs have this talent that's going to be able to stay for so long and they're going to have such sustainable success. It's kind of foreign to me because there's a lot of teams in the NL that are good every year and I know some of them had a bit of a down year like the Cardinals this year but and the Pirates too. Really, I know they had a bit of a down year but especially being in the same division as the Cubs cubs kind of need to win this not only because they haven't won it in 108 years but a lot of challengers are going to be coming from the nl and to think the cubs are going to be good and in contention every year it's hard to do that in baseball so you got to take advantage of the opportunities another thing indians tonight game six they got josh tomlin on the mound love how he pitches very gritty hits his spots real well changes eye levels of the batter very well but Game six, the Cubs are going to trot out Jake Arrieta. Arrieta dominated the Cleveland hitters in game two in Cleveland. I believe he had a no-hitter going into like the fifth or sixth inning. Indians cannot afford to have that to happen tonight. Another big thing for the Cubs, Kyle Schwarber, now that they're back in the AL, is going to be able to bat. DH wasn't cleared to play any position in the field while the games were being played in chicago i don't understand how you can't be cleared to play in the field but you can leg out doubles after hitting one into the gap doesn't make a lot of sense to me kyle schwarber aka the fat kid from hooked look it up i promise i foresee him tonight going 0 for three i know that's a real bold claim and that's an indians fan talking but i just foresee that happening and i i could be wrong but i think tomlin is going to work around him pitch him a little different than what he's seen before and probably make him not have a hit, be productive at all. That's going to be real big. If the Indians are going to win tonight, obviously score more runs than the Cubs. That's a given. But I think Tomlin and Miller and Allen, as always, are going to need to show up. The pitching needs to be fantastic. But we got to put some bats on the ball, which we didn't do in game two, which is why Arrieta was so dominant. I think tonight... After seeing them one time, they might be able to. I think Arrieta is still going to go probably 6 or 7. I'd let him go 6 or 7, probably 7, and then have Aroldis come in and pitch 8 and 9. Chapman has been lights out for the Cubs. He pitches over 100 miles per hour, and he gets better as time goes. People forget he came into the league as a starter, so he's used to pitching lengthy amounts of time. I understand that once you go from a starter to a middle reliever to a closer, whatever position he's in, you don't pitch as much all the time, but he can pitch lengthy amounts at a time and Madden I think shouldn't be afraid to use them I think World Series you win now and especially only having at most two games left you got to pitch your best players as much as you can I think that's Arietta and Chapman giving you maybe two or three innings with all that being said though I think the Indians somehow find a way to get it done game six in the land what a joyous occasion it would be chief wahoo everyone would just be so elated so excited i couldn't imagine the parade they'd have there uh the Cavs would probably be there who knows how many people the celebration they'd have and then for to have cleveland win two sports championships in the same year after the drought they had is so incredible such an amazing story We don't need to talk about the Browns. That's a little upsetting, but two out of three in one year is incredible. Like I said, that was just a prediction, and this is about an hour before first pitch that I'm recording this. So after the game, after all said and done of Game 6, I will come back. You'll hear it at the end of this episode, what happened, my thoughts on the game, and hopefully I don't have to talk about a Game 7. I can just talk about how dominant Tomlin, Miller, Allen, Lindor, Uh, Napoli. Hopefully there's a party at Napoli's. Maybe he hits a home run tonight. Hopefully I can just talk about that at the end of this episode for you all. With all that being said, I think it's time we get back to our roots, talk a little college football. And with that being said as well, you know what time it is. Little rapid fire for you. To get things started, the Children of the Corn, Nebraska, 7th in the country, go to the 11th ranked Wisconsin Badgers where the Badgers come out on top 23-17 in a barn burner of an overtime game. The Badgers defense had the Corn Huskers like they were walking through a corn maze in October. Just couldn't find any answers at any turn. Again, the Badgers win this one in overtime 23-17 with a very impressive win. Next game we're going to look at Boom, we got the fifth-ranked Louisville Cardinals going to unranked Virginia Cavaliers, Cardinals coming out on top, 32-25, and not even LeBron James and Kyrie Irvin going to stop Lamar Jackson in this one. 361 yards and a four-touchdown game for him through the air, 88 yards on the ground. Give him the Heisman folks. It's his. His name's already on it. Just give it to him. Next game, boom, Charlie has the Longhorns looking strong on some Saturdays and weak on others, and luckily, this week, they were looking pretty strong as the Longhorns of Texas upset, unbeaten, eighth-ranked Baylor, 35-34, almost ensuing that Charlie Strong's got one more year left in the burnt orange and white. Boom, next game, the Huskies silence some doubters in this one as Washington, fourth in the country, goes to Utah, beats the Utes 31-24 in a raucous environment. Next game, boom, big Saturday night action in the ACC as the third-ranked Clemson Tigers went to Florida State and they sent the Seminoles back to the reservation, very unhappy as the Tigers won this one, 37-34 in a barn burner of a game. Clemson almost ensuring themselves a spot in the college football playoff. Next game, boom. Are you from Tennessee? Because you're the only 10 I see. Doesn't make a lot of sense here, but it's the only thing I could come up with because the Tennessee Volunteers, 18th in the country, my apologies, lose on the road to South Carolina, 24-21. South Carolina, a resurgent year after that new quarterback's been put in by Muschamp. That's going to do it for Rapid Fire of College Football from Week 9. Hope you enjoyed it. <coughs> Rafiki from the Lion King once said, Oh, yes, the pass can hurt, but the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it. And that's why we look back every week before we can look ahead. So now we got the week that was, let's look at the week that will be in college football. First game I want to look at from week 10 of the college football season we got the ninth ranked Nebraska Corn Huskers going to the sixth-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes games in Columbus. It's a night game. Those games are always fun. I can speak from being there for two big victories that the Buckeyes had. That's what the Buckeyes need this weekend, a big victory. Their offense has sputtered the past two weeks, hasn't even looked good for about three weeks, going all the way back to the Wisconsin game. Their offense was a little lackadaisical. What really has been concerning is the offensive line play, Start of the year, I understand they didn't really play that many people, but they've just seemed to be getting worse as the weeks go by, and that's concerning. J.T. Barrett, I don't really think it's on him. I I got to put all the blame on the offensive line. The Cornhuskers do pose a very good threat to the Buckeye defense. I really like what Nebraska's quarterback Armstrong does. He's mobile, but he's not just a mobile quarterback. He's got a big arm, can thread the needle. Fit balls into windows that they shouldn't be able to go into. If Buckeyes are gonna win this game, they're gonna need to control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Don't think that's gonna be a huge problem for the defensive line behind Bosa and Hubbard, but I think the offensive line needs to get their head out of their asses, showed they're better than what they've shown the past couple weeks, especially last week, against the Northwestern team that I understand they're not terrible, but they're definitely not good enough to only beat by four points in Columbus. Ohio State's better than that. I think they come out night game, all this talk saying how good they aren't how good they aren't. I think Urban's gonna have the boys ready to play. Like the Buckeyes by two touchdowns at least in this game. I'm gonna call this my surefire of the week just because I think Buckeyes are gonna have something to prove. I don't know where they are in the initial college football rankings, but it took a little bit down the line. The Buckeyes went out with that one loss being at Penn State. Buckeyes would have to beat Michigan State, which I understand a very down year, but at Michigan State will always be a tough game. Then they'd have to beat Michigan in Columbus, which Michigan will probably be undefeated by that time, probably one or two in the nation. I think they get a little overhyped sometimes. Then... If they do win out that, they'll have to play in the Big Ten championship game, which would probably be against Wisconsin, who they had already beaten in Wisconsin, or a rematch of Nebraska, which, if my, correction, my prediction's correct, won't be that much of a challenge. But I don't think you keep a one-loss Big Ten team out that's been the M.O. of the College Football Playoff Committee since 2014. The Buckeyes were let in. Big Ten champs, one loss. They were let in. I think that'll be the same uh, criteria again this year. So if the Buckeyes win out, I think they got a real good chance of making the college football playoff, probably as a third seed, honestly. But that's looking a little bit too far ahead. We got to worry about this week. I think the Buckeyes take care of the Cornhuskers this week by at least two touchdowns. The other big game from this week for college football, number one ranked Crimson Tide of Alabama undefeated. Going to the 15th-ranked LSU Tigers, LSU. Another resurgence job by Ed Orgeron. Ever since he's taken over for LSU, after they let go less Les Miles, that team's undefeated. Week 4, under him, really big challenge. Um, I think Coach O might be just what the Tigers need to pull off an upset. He's put in a new quarterback as well, got rid of Brendan Harris. The name of the new quarterback is slipping my mind at the moment. I apologize, but story always with LSU is not the quarterback. It's the running back in the defense, Leonard Fournette, his back. He's been playing really well, running for a lot of yards, getting in the end zone a lot. You like to see that. LSU's defense is looking really good as well. Are they going to be able to stop the high-powered offense of Jalen Hurts at quarterback, O.J. Howard, tight end, Damian Harris at running back, Ridley at receiver for Alabama, and Le- uh, Lane Kiffin, the evil mad scientist at C.O.C.? The Are they going to be able to stop it? I don't know. I can't wait to find out. Hopefully, LSU can upset Bama this weekend. I don't. I don't foresee it happening. I see it being a close game, but then Alabama... Boat racing, the Tigers just showing everybody in the country, again, week after week, how good they are, the best team in the entire nation. Bama probably by 12 12 or more. That's honestly the only two big games, really, for this upcoming week. Um, Washington, fifth in the country, plays Cal. That's going to be an easy game. Penn State plays Iowa. That could be kind of close. Penn State, 12th in the country. I think getting a little bit too much respect for the Ohio State win, but I they're probably going to beat Iowa pretty handedly. Florida State, 22nd in the country, who they've only lost to good teams. They go to North Carolina State. Florida State probably win that one. Michigan, third in the country, has a really easy game against Maryland. Clemson, Has to play Syracuse, but it's at Clemson, so that's probably an easy win. Baylor falls pretty far after the Texas loss from 8-17. to They got TCU. TCU, sure, go upset them. Maybe Baylor's a little hungover, a little upset still from that loss. Maybe they just don't come out. Um, Florida, 11th in the country, goes to Arkansas. I think that might have some SEC... um, East implications, so the Cats fans probably need to watch that, probably root for Arkansas. Louisville, seventh in the country. Lamar Jackson, they play Boston College, probably just another eight-touchdown game from Lamar in that one. Texas A&M is fourth. That's very impressive. They play Mississippi State. Texas A&M probably wins that one. Again, not a lot of exciting games this week, but maybe, maybe, who knows, maybe this will be the best week Of all in college football. You just gotta wait and see. So, because I didn't really give you a lot of talk about upcoming games, I think now that it's appropriate because the first college football playoff rankings by the committee are out, I think it's okay to look ahead to some teams that I think can make the college football playoff and who I think is gonna have a chance to win the entire thing. My original pick in the year, TCU, is not doing very well. I hope you do not hold that against me in my thoughts for the rest of this college football season. Um, my guarantees that I think are in Alabama, Clemson. I just think Alabama has the best team in the country, and I understand they have to play LSU. They got to play Auburn still, and then whatever team they have to play, if they do win those games in the SEC championship game. It's not going to be very good at all, but I still think Bama is the best team in the country, wins out, makes the college football playoff as the one seed. Two and three, though, are a little bit hazy to me. I do have these teams in, but what order they're in, I'm not 100% sure. Washington and Clemson, Washington's gotten through their hard part of the schedule, The only place I see them maybe slipping up is in the Pac-12 championship game, but that's not very likely. Pac-12, a little bit of a down year. Stanford was thought to be very good potential threat with McCaffrey and everything. He has just disappeared off the entire college football map from Heisman contender and possible with the Cardinals-Stanford being in the playoff, not even thought about anymore this season. Then you got Clemson with Deshaun Watson. He's not very much in the Heisman race, but still has his team winning every week. Again, their hard games are over with UofL and Florida State. They win both of them. They're going to play probably a North Carolina who is middle of the pack. They're not good, but they're not bad. I don't understand why they're ranked so highly. They're ranked 21st in the country. They got to play probably them or Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech's 5-3, and three. Overall, they'll have to play one of those two more than likely in the AC championship game, ACC championship game. So I don't foresee Florida State, not Florida State. I don't foresee Clemson losing again. So two and three, I'll probably put Clemson at two and Washington at three just because that's how they're seeded now. But then when it comes to the fourth spot, that's where things are going to get a little bit interesting. Obviously, if Michigan wins out, they're the fourth team, be undefeated, Big Ten champions, obviously. If Ohio State wins out, I think you put them there. If Michigan loses and Ohio State beats them, but then Ohio State goes on to lose in maybe the Big Ten championship game, do you look at UofL? I mean, L has a Friday night game coming up here pretty soon at Houston. Houston struggled the past couple of weeks, but they're still a very good team. They still have a quality win against Oklahoma on a neutral site. That's a quality win. They beat Florida State, a top 20 team, earlier this year by 40. Um, Lamar Jackson, probably the best player in all of college football. Just some things the committee is going to have to think about. That's obviously the worst case scenario for the committee if Ohio State beats Michigan and then they lose in the Big Ten Championship game because then you have three teams. I don't, if Ohio State loses in the Big Ten Championship, I don't think Ohio State or Michigan honestly makes it because the Michigan loss to Ohio State looks a little bit worse if it's to a two-loss team. So, yeah, I would put U L in. But then you got to look at Texas A&M as well. I don't think Texas A&M is going to be able to get in. Right now, they're ranked fourth. So if the season ended today, they're in. But their only loss is to Alabama. At Alabama, I'm not hundred percent sure about the rest of their games. But I don't think they're in. I know for a fact they're in the SEC West, which is the dominant conference in the SEC every year. If they don't win the SEC, I if it was the BCS, I could see maybe them getting in, but the college football playoff has shown um, conference championships matter. And if Texas A&M gets in with that, their one loss just being to Bama, Baylor and TCU from a couple years ago are going to have a bone to pick with the college football committee because the reason they didn't get in was because there wasn't a conference championship for them to play in and to have that on the resume so they didn't get in. So if Texas A&M gets in this year without a conference championship, Texas, the whole state of Texas is going to be pissed at the college football playoff committee. Some teams now, I guess I could sneak into the college football playoff. Florida at 11, if they can win out, win the SEC East, and then upset Bama, that'd be real impressive. Hard to deny them an entrant into it, especially if you're the champion of the SEC. LSU. Gonna need some help, but a two loss, probably not gonna make it. But you don't know what the committee's thinking, you have no idea. Nebraska sitting at 10. If they win out and win the Big Ten championship, they're only lost to Wisconsin at Wisconsin, who's eighth in the country right now. Put them in, why not? Um, next, mm. Auburn, maybe again. Going to need some help. Two losses. But if they beat Bama, they have a chance. If they win the SEC, they have a chance. It's all so up in the air right now. Again, if the season ended right now, my four, Bama, Clemson, Washington, and then the Big Ten champion, either Ohio State or Michigan. From college to NFL we go here on the sack. And as always, we're looking back. First game I want to talk about. Thursday night game from last week. The Thursday night matchup that is almost every year, the color rush. um, It's guaranteed, and I love it every year. The Titans against the Jaguars. This game, though, on Thursday night went to the Titans. Marcus Mariota, 270 yards, two touchdowns. Titans went up big early in this game, and the Jaguars spent the rest of the game just trying to come back. A lot of garbage points um, late in the game. Blake Bortle's stat line, very misleading. Almost 400 yards and three touchdowns, but most of those came late in the game. What's a little alarming, though, Bortles led the Jaguars in rush yards with only 22 yards, so their run game was non-existent. It's just a little concerning, especially for the Jaguars that were supposed to take it to the limit this year and really be a team that could uh, be a threat in the FC South. I broke that down. There's not really much else I want to break down, so I guess it's time for... Last week's Rapid Fire Boom. First game, we're going to look at the Washington Redskins and the Cincinnati Bengals. Went over to London for some tea and crumpets, and the tea wasn't herbal essence. No, the tea stood for tie. 27-27, and over time, they kissed their sisters all the way over the pond in this one. Next game, boom. Chiefs, Colts. Chiefs must have drank some coffee at halftime because they got woken up by Nick Foles. jurors in the second half after Alex Smith leaves the game. Chiefs take this one 30-14 on the back of Nick Foles. Next game, boom, the Raiders beat the Buccaneers 30-24, Derek Carr and the Raiders are 5-0 on the road going back to Oakland this weekend. Next game, boom, Seahawks couldn't get anything going against the Saints defense, surprising, but another disappointing game from Russell Wilson, very upsetting, Saints win this one 25-20. Next game, boom, clear eyes, full heart, dildos on the field, can't lose, right? Wrong. Wrong. Patriots win this one 41-25 getting the revenge next game boom Cam Newton doesn't like to get hit don't play in the NFL son Cardinals fall to the Panthers though 30-20 this weekend next game boom the cheddar cheese heads from Green Bay the Green Bay Packers go to the Falcons where that defense didn't look like sharp cheddar look a lot more like some Swiss with all the holes in it Matt Ryan takes advantage for a 33-32 victory Next game, boom, the Eagles and the Wentz wagon rode all the way down to Dallas to Jerry World, but sadly the wagon ran out of gas at the end of the game, just in time for Dak and the rest of the boys to steal a victory in overtime. 29-23, rookie on rookie crime in this one. Last one, boom, the Bears beat the Vikings on Monday Night Football 20-10. That's all I got. All right, catch your breath. That was last week, this is this week. we got a lot to talk about. See if you can keep up. First NFL game for this upcoming week, I want to talk about Steelers at the Ravens. Steelers coming off a bye, so they beat the hell out of that bye week. Ravens 3-4 on the year, Steelers 4-3. Going to be a big game for standing-wise in the AFC North. Big question, though, is Ben Roethlisberger going to be able to play? Tore his meniscus or tore something in his knee two weeks ago. What I expect to happen is he'll be available, but probably as a backup to Landry Jones. Landry Jones looks serviceable against the Patriots. I think if he can be serviceable again, get the running game going a little bit, and if the Steelers' defense can show up a little bit more than they did against the Patriots, Steelers get this one, give Big Ben one more week, get a much-needed win in the FC North, bring him back next week and have him back for the second half of the season. Steelers in this one next game I want to talk about is my don't say I didn't tell you so the 6-1 and one Cowboys going to the Cleveland Browns and I'm going to say it Cowboys are going to fall to the Browns this week Browns are getting their first victory I just think after such a high emotional win that the Cowboys just had little maybe a little winning hangover the Browns are going to play I think just so aggressive and try and really win this game they're hungry for a win they need to be hungry all the time for a win now Because it's getting to the point where I don't think they're going to get one at all this year, which is very scary. Again, I hope management there in Cleveland stays behind Hugh, but this is one of my don't say I didn't tell you so's of the week Browns over the Cowboys. Moving on from interleague play, we go to a very big game in the NFC East where the Eagles go to the Giants. Both teams four and three, both teams in second place behind. The Cowboys in the NFC East. I like the Giants in this one. I think Eli Manning and Odell just make too many plays. Wentz probably has a very good game, though. I like what he does as a quarterback. But in the end, Odell and Eli just a little bit better than Wentz and his gang of Eagles. Moving on to another don't say I didn't tell you so. If you look at the records, you would say, well, this isn't even an upset. The better team is... Worst record, but the two and five Panthers at the at the I almost said the St. Louis shows how far behind I am. But at the L.A. Rams, I like the Rams in this one. Carolina is a three point favorite, but Todd Gurley I just think is going to run all over him. And then I hope at some point we get to see Jared Goff this year, don't you? Maybe he can learn where the sun sets in the east of the west. Maybe then he can be a starting quarterback in the NFL. But this week, I think Case Keenum leads the Rams to a victory. Big game from Kenny Britt. Last game I want to talk about for this upcoming NFL Sunday, Broncos at the Raiders, a big AFC West matchup. I love how there's just so many important games now, it feels like, because playoff pictures are starting to take shape. Records are starting to bounce out. Teams aren't getting as lucky as they used to, and you really get to see the good teams play each other in meaningful games. This is one of them. Broncos at the Raiders, both 6-2, both tied atop the AFC West. I'm going to go with the Raiders. Why not? It's their year. I'll put him in the Super Bowl as well. I'm saying it right now. Raiders, Super Bowl 51. That's really bold. I don't know if I agree with that. I was I was caught up in the moment. But this game, I'm pretty confident the Raiders got it over the Broncos this weekend. That does it for the NFL for this week and last week. But before I get to the monstrosity that was game six of the World Series between the Cubs and the Indians, I want to talk a little bit about some news that, as come across in the past week regarding college football players and transferring and whatnot. Jalen Hurd of the Tennessee Volunteers, running back, star running back, leads the team in rushing, I believe, and I think rushing touchdowns as well, is deciding to transfer from Tennessee immediately in the middle of the season. Jalen Hurd's a real big kid, I think like 6'2", 6'3", 240, 240 pounds, a big back, comparable to maybe LeGarrette Blount, um, Sean Alexander size-wise, stuff like that, just a big dude, and he thought they should be running them more in I-formations and stuff like that, not the spread offense, read option, taking it from the shotgun, all that stuff. I agree, play to your player strengths, all that, but don't expect a team to change its whole offensive identity to fit one player. You, as a player, need to do what's best for the team. In situations, and that is run the play that is called and don't bitch about it. But what I find a little aggravating, though, is that when you're a college football player, your main goal is to get to the NFL pros. I imagine. Um, I think there comes a point in time every college player has a talk with themselves and they say, "Do I have a realistic opportunity to go to the pros?" And if they do, they pursue that. And if they don't, they understand that. What bothers me, though, is when other coaches or media members or anybody criticizes a kid for making a choice to transfer, whether it be at the end of the year or in the middle of the year or at the beginning of the next coming year. The kid has to look out for himself in the situation because no one else is. To to take for this example, to Tennessee, Jalen Hurd is just another player that can be replaced. He's another paycheck for um, jersey sales. He's just another body that can be replaced. If he doesn't want to play for him, someone else can step right in for him and do it. They are not concerned about him, and I. that's the case at a lot of universities and schools. Whether coaches are going to say it, ADs, nobody's going to say that because it's the truth and it hurts, and it's sad to hear because coaches want to make it seem and schools want to make it seem that the players and everyone and students and everything like that mean so much to them, but the truth is they don't. So when media members or anyone criticizes a kid for doing what is best for him to get him ready for the next level, give him a better opportunity to get to the next level, or what he feels is best for him because he's looking out for him, what the university and the coach probably don't do all the time because they don't have his best interest in it, they have their best interest in it, I get a little upset because God forbid the kid looks out for himself when nobody else does. Same situation took place earlier earlier this year with the Alabama quarterbacks. I don't remember the original starting quarterback for Alabama, his name, but he didn't do so well the first game. They put in Jalen Hurts, and the Alabama original starting quarterback decided to transfer, caught a lot of shit from it. Nick Saban personally called him out and said, you start with your finish, all this stuff. No, the kid was a freshman. Jalen Hurts has played out of his mind, and as a coach, you showed me that I'm not important. I'm not—you don't trust me enough to be that starting quarterback. I can go somewhere else and start and possibly get to the pros and make a living doing what I want to do and love to do is play NFL, play football. Anybody that criticizes a kid to do that is ridiculous in my mind. I understand where you want to say, oh, finish what you started, finish what you started. Finish your career the best player you can be, as ready for the NFL as you can be. Get as much highlights as you can, anything for you, because at the end of the day, you are what is going to be left. The university seldom is going to be able to repay you. I mean, understand you can get a degree that is ample payment for that, but they are seldomly going to be able to repay you as well as being an NFL athlete would. Because if you come back and be a coach, you're not going to earn as much. Granted, you'll be around football all the time, but NFL players earn a lot more than college coaches, especially assistants. To close up this whole soap ox, just talking rant, if you're a college football player, do what is best for you. If that means transferring, transfer. Get yourself in people's minds put up as many points highlights anything get yourself as ready for the pros as you can and if that if you're not in the environment or on the team to do that go to an environment and a team that will get you ready for the pros do what is best for you and any critic that wants to critique you or bitch you out or say anything f them they don't matter they don't have your best interest at heart all right That was that. This is this. Pains me to say, but the Chicago Cubs went into Cleveland, beat Tomlin tonight, 9-3. Tomlin only pitched a couple innings. I will say, though, in the beginning, one run was his fault. Two of them were not, but went down early 3-0 in the first inning, and then they bring Tomlin out. They pull him out, and then the next pitcher they put in, first batter he faces at a Grand Slam A lot of adversity right off the bat for the Indians in this game. Battled back. At one point, they had the bases loaded. Um, Indians fans were still there, still cheering, very excited. You should still be there no matter how much you're up or down, if you paid as much money as you do for those seats. But that's very encouraging by the fans. But, again, Indians had to battle uphill all night. It's a little concerning. But my takeaways and thoughts for Game 7... Kluber is on the hill. Kluber has been lights out all postseason, especially this series. It's 2-0. He has less than one ERA, I believe. If he has more than one, I think it's like 1.2. So pretty good ERA, if you ask me. Another thing that I might this is stretching it a little bit, but maybe the Cubs used up all their hits tonight. I'm not saying Kluber's gonna go out in game seven and throw a no hitter, but. Maybe he throws a two or three hitter, just stifles them again. Maybe the Cubs just can't get things going. Maybe they used up all their luck and everything tonight. Maybe they're just going to be that hungover win tomorrow night. I don't know. What? Another possibility, pretty scary one. Maybe this is just, hey, the Cubs know we're better. Our bats are finally heating up at the completely right time, at the best time possible, the last two games of the year. In win or go home situations, maybe they just come out and say, we know we're better, and they just light it up again. I hope that's not the case. For the Cubs on the mound, they got Kyle Hendricks. He's 1-1, 1.31 ERA. Indians did beat him, though, earlier this postseason. So it's a little encouraging because they know they can win, but I believe that was the 1-0 or the very close game that happened. I think that was game three. First game in Chicago, so they do know they can get to him. They can hit him. He's very good. What I don't want to see is six real good innings from him, maybe a 1-0 lead, only giving up one, something like that, and then Chapman comes in and just dominates like he does. That'll be real scary. On the other end, speaking of bringing in, Andrew Miller has had three days of rest. I think Kluber might go five, six if he's dealing real well. But then if I'm Tito tomorrow, I'm letting Miller pitch six, seven, and eight. I want him out there for three innings. He has been proven the either the best or the second best pitcher this postseason, I believe. I think Kluber, Arrieta, and... Miller are right up there for the best three pitchers this postseason and it really helps that Indians have two of them and two of them are going tomorrow. I can't wait I'm going to be a nervous wreck all day, all game it's going to be fun, History's going to be made obviously I'm going to go with the Indians I'm going to say 5-2 to two, and I'm going to say the five runs are scored Real early on. I think we're going to get to Hendricks. And then it's not going to be easy. I bet you the Cubs give the Indians a scare. Probably around the 7th or 8th inning. But after that, I think the Indians are going to weather the storm. Bring home another championship to the land. with a, With a victory. Go, Tribe, go. I know I just stole the go, Cubs, go. So roll Tribe. And with that, that brings a close to the 10th episode of Carson Sack Podcast. We talked balls. We liked it. It was cool. Good show, Carson. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. But honestly, I hope you enjoyed this show. I'm very sorry I couldn't get my guest ready for this show. Time schedule just didn't work out. He will be on the show sooner rather than later, I hope. Thank you again, as always, for the continued support. It means a lot to me. Retweet this, share this, like this, get this in as many people's ears as you can. Your support, you have no idea how much it means to me. I can't thank you enough. This was the 10th episode. I can only hope for hundreds more. Thank you for listening to Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. And as always, in closing... We'll be seeing you.